Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Charlotte. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingwei of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm ready to get wet. I'm Ben Harrison. Oh, right. <laughs> I got to say, I expected uh, a double cross out of you. Oh, yeah. I know you've taken great umbrage with me uh, bailing out of our Miriam drinking episodes. Yeah. I don't know what that's about. Not for sure you'd stick me in the tub on my own. I'm not going to do that to you. As, a, as some form of comeuppance. I'm a man of my word. All right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that what kind of man you are? I, are you gonna? Are you ever going to do your makeup tiki? Yeah. That's the question on a lot of people's minds. I'll do it eventually. <laughs> I, I mean, I was going to do it today, but then my dog peed all over everything. And uh, <laughs> I'm just in piss triage yeah. for the next year, <laughs> from what I'm told. Yeah. It's great. Piss, tri- <laughs> piss triage sounds like a really bad, like high school garage band oh yeah yeah there's a band out of seattle called full toilet (laughs) and just that combination of words is really funny to me piss triage could open for them (laughs) yeah it really could adam i know that this is a a special episode an episode in which we will get wet we're gonna we're gonna record the bulk of this episode from the tub but we're here in the marin we will get wet we may get soaked depending on how how much we filled the tub. That's true. We're in the Marin Open, and uh, I did a little bit of socializing the other day. No, you didn't. You did? Which, uh, I'm a little rusty with the socialization. Rusty socializing pipes? And I did, uh, I had a bad bit moment I thought I'd tell you about. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. You're always doing bits, bits, bits. No matter what, you're always doing bits, bits, bits. I was doing bits. Bad bit moment. Bad bit moment. You know what, Ben? It sure does feel like the more socializing we do, the more <laughs> bad bit moments seem to happen. It's really true. So, um, <laughs> I think you were watching the Super Bowl while this was happening. <laughs> I was watching. Not the Super Bowl. I was watching uh, my friends consume Greek food. We went out to a Greek restaurant. I was telling my wife that, because <laughs> you texted me during the Super Bowl to ask how my bets were going. Yeah. I thought that was very considerate. And I was like, uh, hey, things are working out great. Pretty exciting game, isn't it? And and you were like, I wouldn't know. I'm out at dinner. <laughs> and I started laughing. And my wife asked me why I was laughing. And I just said, uh, I just got the perfect message from Ben. The most Ben message from Ben I've ever gotten is what I just read. I had figured that the uh, Los Angeles Rams had won the Super Bowl because I was in an outdoor eating environment in Los Angeles. And I heard the whole city go crazy all at once. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it was obvious to me what had happened. So so the bets went well. Everything paid out good, right? Oh, yeah. I won every side. Oh, every great. side of every bet. That's great. Which is a rarity. I'm so happy for you. I'm happy, too. It's rare that you win the main and the hedge, but I won them all. All I do is bets, bets, bets. No matter what. That's awesome. My, uh, my bad bit moment, 
happened when we were talking, uh, the couple that we were out to dinner with had their honeymoon in Greece. So we were eating Greek food and um, they told us a little bit about their trip to Greece. And were they pronouncing all the foods, especially <laughs> Greek in front of you? No, they were being pretty cool about it. But um, please pass me the hummus. <laughs> they uh, told us about going to an island named Spestis. Mm -hmm. And I stopped the conversation so I could say, uh, now, uh, if you develop symptoms, you can get in on a class action Lawsuit uh, for Greekothelioma. Wow. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. That is just like base hit of a joke right there. Right through the hole. Bit of a long walk, but uh, uh -huh. <laughs> of the three people that I was eating with, zero of them got it. <laughs> oh, shit, man, I'm so sorry. And I had to go back for both asbestos and mesothelioma. You had to turn the whole dinner table around to go pick those up. This joke exploded on the launch pad, and it was such a <laughs> catastrophe that I had to explain like what I was even saying, because like it didn't even seem like a joke to them. No, yeah, no. I think part of the problem was that they had been talking about like th there's some hostility uh, among Greeks toward uh, European tourists lately because of mm -hmm. how much the Eurozone fucked Greece over in the financial crisis of 2008. And there's a lot of like get back energy mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that can splash over onto American tourists, which probably Americans deserve for other reasons, but I can't like think of anything specific. <laughs> Nor could you think of a funny bit yeah. for that. Yeah, exactly. So I think like part of it was that they were in the headspace of like, oh yeah, there's some like some like fraud and malfeasance going on in Greece occasionally. So the like lawsuit thing kind of sent them down the wrong rabbit hole of thinking about my bit. Yeah. Everyone's so preoccupied with having a very serious Greek dinner, talking about serious Greek <laughs> politics. <laughs> ben, this is why we're so insufferable when we're together on the rare occasions, because all we're doing is hammering bits back and forth just, just for the entire hang. <laughs> like, And it's alienating everyone around us, I our know. loved ones and I our know. friends who, who are excited to hang out. But this is like, this is why. The situation you're describing is why, because if I were there eating Greek food with you instead of counting money from Super Bowl bets. Uh, I thought you're never supposed to count your money when you're sitting at the table. Uh, I would have laughed my ass off. I know I'm not a frequent laugher at your bits, but yeah. I think in real life you could count on me yeah. in that situation. People at the table would have been delighted. Yeah, that's not something that's going to raise the ire of a neighboring table <laughs> no, wanting no. us to keep it down. That's the sort of laugh you want in a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. All of the neighboring tables were having a great time. There was lots of lots of wine flowing. It was it was a great night. I had a great night. It was it was one bad bit moment in, in an otherwise delightful evening out. Yeah, but what do you think about at the end? Were you preoccupied? I've been thinking about it ever since because like, I'm like, I think mesothelioma may be a deep cut, but asbestos is not. Like, no. Everybody knows there's asbestos lawsuits. What they may not know specifically is that those are mesothelioma asbestos lawsuits. In Greece, is it spelled asbestos? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's got to be, right? Yeah, probably. Um, has this ever happened to you? 
<laughs> but yeah, like uh, uh, it was just such a fucking capital F failure. <laughs> just I just uh, I walked out of that restaurant in shame. In shame. Pretty good Greek food, though. Yeah, solid. Nice. Really good, actually. Yeah, we got to go there sometime. There's this place, in, it's in Los Angeles Institution. It's called Papa Cristo's. Hey. And uh, I like an institution. They got great chow. And it's like one of those LA restaurants that like is as it always has been, you know? Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I like the way it always has been. Yeah. Instead of the way it is. Mm-hmm. That, the way it is, often a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Remember the way it used to be? A thing that has stood the test of time, sometimes very fun. I just can't even imagine what things are going to be. Yeah. Don't want to think about that. Well, I think in about 30 seconds relative to the time of people listening to this, it's going to be wet. Wow. Do you want to get into some tubs and get into the episode, Adam? Sure do. Could really go for some soothing of my bones. <laughs> Slip into something a little more comfortable sure. and uh, get into the tub. Yeah, let's do it, man. See you over there, man. Okay. For Star Trek Voyager Season 3, Episode 19, Rise! Lord Vader, rise. <laughs> I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Well, then <laughs> the stupidest idea for not just a Star Trek podcast, but a podcast of any kind. Yeah. Uh, returns for another engagement. Don't know why we have this on the board, but we have it on the board, so we have to do it sometimes. <laughs> this isn't just the dumbest thing that a podcast could do this is like any any media in all media i think this is the dumbest idea there is i know i know why do people listen to this <laughs> could they stop then maybe we could maybe we could do a let's drink about it style uh what's in your tub oh i'm i'm simple man i just I, it's just epsom salts and water for me Really? Yeah. I'm smelling like an amaretto cookie because <laughs> I've got a foaming bath with Epsom salt, but also almond oil. Wow. You really do it right over there. Is that, <laughs> yeah. uh, are you the uh, primary procurer of fancy bath products in your house or does your wife do that? No. I mean, this is my wife's bubble bath. Nice. That's what I'm rolling with right now. It's delicious. Tell her I said hello. I bought some fancy bath salts with, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know, some kind of herbal, maybe like aromatherapeutic properties uh, claimed uh -huh. on the on the package when I was up in the Russian River over the holidays. And uh, uh -huh. I did not find them when I was scrambling to also set up my microphone and crap in here. So. <laughs> This is so dumb. Yeah, it's dumb. It's dumb. <laughs> Once again, we risk death yeah. with a bunch of electronic equipment next to our tubs. Something uniquely humiliating about Wendy telling us not to electrocute ourselves when uh, she heard that this was happening today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, uh, Wendy doesn't know that she's both of our power of attorney now. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. That's going to really come as a shock to our spouses. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, well, Adam, this episode starts with uh, an Armageddon-style asteroid heading for a planet 
And Voyager, sparing one of their precious, precious torpedoes to try and bullseye this thing. Fire. You could fire every nuke you've got there and she'd just smile at you and keep on coming. Yeah, why would you use a torpedo if you didn't have to? Feels a little flashy to me. What about the tractor beam, you know? Great idea. We've seen the tractor beam used to move asteroids into different orbital pathways. Why not use one of their many disposable shuttlecrafts? <laughs> just fly one of those into it. Yeah, just vehicle replicator replacement the second it goes. You tell me they don't have an extra Subaru Brat-style shuttle to fly into that thing? <laughs> course they do. Those things are a dime a dozen on the Voyager's shuttle bay. <laughs> Inexpensive and built to stay that way. Just tell them it saves you money, buster. There's a lot of dialogue-less, watch the asteroid go boom kind of footage here. That's fun. Yeah. This episode really begins the way Best of Both Worlds Part 2 begins. <laughs> like, almost as though we're picking up where we left off last time. And, and that kind of suffuses the episode. We don't know much about these people. We don't even know what their people are called for most of the episode. We don't know why the Voyager has taken a unique interest in helping them. Uh, it's just kind of a story that we had dropped into immediate apocalypse. You really stole my thunder there, Ben, because I was going to, during review time, compare this episode favorably to Best of Both Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> These aliens on the bridge look like parts bin Cardassians, like they, they took a little bit of the prosthetic makeup uh -huh, from them, uh -huh. but none of the costume choices no. are shared. They've got kind of uh, like hockey jersey style uh, shirts. Yeah. Big in the shoulders, big in the chest area. Not a real strong skater, though. Ain't the best puck handler, either. They've all got the vibe of disappointed neighbors brought over to watch Dad light off fireworks <laughs> because the, the big boom they were expecting, they didn't get it all. Yeah. The torpedo didn't work. It was based on the composition of this asteroid. It should have... Should have worked. This should have been fine. Yeah, not only that, like all the little bits of shrapnel that they've created are too numerous for Tuvok to get. So this planet's about to get bombarded. Yeah. It's fortunate because the two big chunks go down in a relatively unpopulated area, but pretty soon there's another asteroid coming along. It just seems like this planet is an interstellar firing range. And uh, this one is predicted to hit a big population center. Yeah, but in a way that holding back the facts can sometimes make things feel more dangerous, mm -hmm. I kind of wish they didn't tell us the population of the population centers. <laughs> because one of these guys is like, I don't know which one says it, but he's like, you know, this town has almost 5,000 people in it. And I wish I didn't know that, because that's not a lot of people. <laughs> well, you're coming at this from a context of COVID America, where we've decided right. that a million people are acceptable losses in a, uh, in a disaster scenario. Yeah, it totally changed my way of thinking. You am become Mr. Worf. Now I'm like, why waste a torpedo to save 5,000? <laughs> <laughs> so the ambassador guy, the older of the two members of the alien race up on the bridge has an assistant named Sklar. What did you think of Sklar? I kind of felt like the actor like hadn't wrapped his mind around the role. Like, especially here on the bridge, it just kind of felt like he was delivering his lines like a kid in a school play. There are at least 12 more asteroids heading in our direction. 
How can we hope to destroy them all, even with your help? I think one thing that really hamstrung these characters was that their prost their prosthesi mm. their prosthetes mm. <laughs> ankylosaur. <laughs> I'm trying to say the plural of prosthetics prostheses. <laughs> that's that's how it's said. Yeah, and if you find like an animal that can use one that's designed for a human, you would call that a cross-species prosthesis. Yes, you definitely would. You wouldn't call it anything else. What I'm getting at is that they all have kind of resting Cro-Magnon face, and yeah. I think that unfortunately makes this race of people look dumb. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. was like... I don't know. I just kept expecting this guy to say that he grew some radishes in weird dirt and they came up all weird. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't find anything like specifically lacking about the acting. I think it was just like a challenge because of how they were made to look. Yeah. They get a FaceTime from a guy down on the surface who is very frantic to tell them that uh, these asteroids are not exactly as they seem. They're composed out of synthetic materials. Where do you get all these synthetic materials, Ben, <laughs> to just shoot at a planet? I, I was thinking maybe MacGruber did it. Maybe they're household materials. It really seems like a Starship Trooper situation, huh? It does, yeah. With the winging of weaponized asteroids at things? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's how the bugs do it. So, uh, yeah. So why not, uh, what are the bad guys wind up being called? The uh, Otanians? The Atanians? Oh, the, the Cro-Mags? No, the other guys. The guys that we only see one of for like a f five second moment. The guys that are actually doing all this bad stuff. Oh, yeah. Those guys. The Atanian Order. I don't have the episode in front of me because I'm in a bathtub right now. Let's go with that. <laughs> this is a major cause for concern because Dr. Vadim is the guy raising the alarm, right? Our most prominent astrophysicist. This is not a naturally occurring thing. And Dr. Vadim's the guy with this information, and that suddenly makes him a very important person to yeah. save. Because they can't save all 5,000 or however many... <laughs> <laughs> or or any of the five-digit amount of population that they have on this planet. They only have enough resources to save the one guy. If this was the Enterprise-D, we'd be fine, but this is not. So, therefore, uh, we're just going to... I wish this entire episode was about, instead of what it was about, going down <laughs> to get Dr. Vadim and then seeing how that goes over with the rest of the 4,999 people he's with. Hey, so we just brought one shuttle, so um, <laughs> hey, if there are like a couple more of you that really want to come... As you can see, it looks like a Subaru Brat. <laughs> Fun on wheels. Neelix is on the away mission with Tuvok, and he goes down to Six Bay to get some hypo sprays. He's just, just going to bring some extra hypo sprays. He's really trying to go above and beyond to get in good with Tuvok, who he's always nervous around because Tuvok is so judgmental. No matter what I do, I can't seem to please him. It also looks like he's trying to get close to his ex-girlfriend by wearing 
an article of her clothing that she may be left behind. <laughs> He's really in his go, home. The the cat suit fashion statement has really started to just spread on Voyager, hasn't it? <laughs> Try to restrain your enthusiasm. Yeah, very slimming. Yeah. It's like Talaxian Spanx. I suggest everyone try to remain calm. He's got a corduroy cat suit, which is very popular in like the northeast of Talax, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah, very nice. Nice and warm. Cozy in the winter. Never seen so much corduroy in one place. The doc is like, "Hey, a little word of advice. Uh don't overdo it on the uh on the radio during your away <laughs> mission. That didn't go over well for me." <laughs> Just take it from me, a guy who has been on an away mission. That sucks. Right. You know, they they urge him to calm down. May I suggest a tranquilizer? And uh, he heads to get aboard the shuttle with Tuvok and Sklar. And uh, just your classic shuttle crash. You know, second you fly a shuttle into an atmosphere, chances are good that the atmosphere is going to be more than a match for that shuttle. We'll be landing shortly. Try to relax. Yeah, and they lose it. It's totaled. <laughs> they lost another one. Yeah. I mean, a Subaru Brat's resale value is not that high. So, like, it's pretty l- unlikely that the insurance company is going to pay I you. I mean, to- there's an enthusiast market for a great example, but this is not it. Right, right. Yeah. This one is in bad shape. They also, uh, when they crash, like, they meet uh, Dr. Vadim and his buddy, who's like a miner from a nearby mining colony, uh, almost immediately. And Dr. Vadim is uh, not willing to tell them anything about the composition of the asteroid. He knew that it was not the asteroid it seemed to be based on scans, but the uh, the composition is classified. This sure made you suspect Dr. Vadim from Jump, right? It did, yeah. He just seems like a jerk, you know? You know what? I could never marry into this scientist's family, huh? Oh, because then, Adam uh, Vadim? <laughs> yeah, like if I took... Her last name? Yeah. Right. That'd be Adam Vadim. That would be bad. I wouldn't like that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People would have an easier time uh, spelling my last name when I say it over the phone, though. Mm-hmm. That'd be better. <laughs> uh, I just reacted to this scene when, you know, Tuvok's trying to get the information out of him, and I was like, Tuvok and Vadim are fighting again. <laughs> yeah. Their shuttle's so fucked up they can't fly it, so... Their only chance is to, like, get the communication system going again so they can get rescued. Yeah. So Neelix gets sent out to uh, do a damage assessment. He wants to uh, suggest that he could be more proactive than that. Tuvok shoots him down. But uh, when he goes outside, he spots something off in the distance. A very late 90s CG rendering. Hey, you guys remember matte paintings? (laughs) Remember how they didn't look like shit? (laughs) Is this a space elevator? This is a space elevator. I was very excited to see this. You know all about these. I do. I have a long-suffering documentary about a a space elevator researcher that uh, one day I will finish. Yeah. I'm hoping to finish it this year, actually. But, uh, you know, I've said that many years in a row. (laughs) Great. I'm excited to see it. I'm in it. I'm a big part of it, as I recall. Yeah, you you helped shoot parts of it. Yeah. And uh, almost got arrested at the Canadian border with me in service of this documentary. I know. It would have been worth it, too. Yeah, it would have been. Um, so Neelix, very thirsty for Tuvok's approval to impress Tuvok. So he is back in the shuttle with a quickness. 
enthusiastically talking up the idea of we can get off this, you know, this, the shuttle's no good to us, but we can get off the surface with the use of this space elevator. It's a uh, magnetically powered car that will just travel up this tether up into space. And Sklar's like, no, dude, that's never going to work. It takes like a day to get all the way up to the top. And Neelix is like, Maglev, I know this system. <laughs> He's like, we don't even need to get to the top, baby. We just need to get past the ionosphere so the, the transporters will work. Why do you think we did this shuttle mission? Normally, we would just use the transporters. Neelix is the sort of tryhard that just won't let it go. He's got ideas. Yeah. He makes the case that he could be... Really useful in a situation like this. And it is convincing to everyone besides Tuvok. He's like, look at my resume, Tuvok. I've got two years of space elevator experience. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't have a space elevator diploma. Right. So. Well, he has one from a non-accredited space elevator academy. Right. Which, you know, it might just be like one of those things you print out off the internet. It's like, oh, it's a little bit sus. Yeah, I mean, how much is a space elevator diploma from University of Phoenix really worth? <laughs> Betsy DeVos would argue quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> to University of Phoenix. This is a plan without a lot of downside, right? Because if it doesn't work, they can always just come back and wait for rescue. So they might right. as well bang on this thing with their wrenches. Very well. Yeah. So they know that it's like probably going to need some fixing up and uh, they take some equipment with them. But they, they head over there and they walk into the elevator control room, which just is like the perfect vintage Star Trek set, like a big glowing half dome with a bunch of lights and beeps and boops on it, bunch of pipes and valves and computer screens everywhere. It is like the establishing shot of a MacGruber sketch too. Like <laughs> really space elevator control room sign right on the outside. The space elevator is going to crash on us in 20 seconds, MacGruber. Yeah. Oh my God. You too, Vicky. Yeah, except uh, they've got a problem because a squatter has taken Neelix hostage. Yeah, this lady has a very Klingon looking knife, but uh, as you said, very like aftermarket Cardassian looking loaf. Yeah. And uh, she's got it at Neelix's neck. She assumes that this group of men have come in there to steal her rations. Don't expect me to share. Like the asteroids falling on this planet have kind of reverted everything into a post-apocalyptic energy. And did you get a good sense of the timeline here? Because it seemed like her desperation was pretty premature. Like, <laughs> like I thought these <laughs> asteroids just started falling. But she's got a level of desperation that suggests that she's been like hoarding food yeah, and yeah. sticking people up for a year. I feel like later in the episode, it is elucidated that this has been going on for quite a while. But um, I think you got to make that clear. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reading um, a book called The Fifth Season right now. It's a fantasy novel set in like a post-apocalyptic future where there's earthquakes all the time and so like mm -hmm. most human settlements are just like focused all the time on preparing for the next catastrophic like volcano eruption that will block out the sun for several years or whatever don't get greedy ben like after moving to la i think you should be satisfied with two seasons not <laughs> five i know uh it's a real fantasy novel if ever yeah. there was one <laughs> The fifth season is umami, right? <laughs> umami flavor. 
she's able to be talked out of this uh, out of this hostility. She's actually excited about the idea of getting the elevator working as well. She's uh, got some technical know-how, but not elevator specific. That's going to fall to Neelix. And so the the project begins. Let's start making life-saving inventions out of household materials. You can tell this person is desperate because she's desperate enough to believe what Neelix tells her. <laughs> and go along with this weird mission that she's just now hearing about. Yeah. I mean, she is in dire straits, but Neelix does not really present himself as a threatening figure. And I feel like maybe even if the other dudes do, <laughs> if they're rolling with a dude like Neelix, maybe they're not so bad. This is a good Neelix episode. And I think this is really where that feeling starts. Like yeah. he is very persuasive with this person in a way that feels sincere and good. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Up on Voyager, BLT and Chakotay have a sample of one of the rocks that hit early in the episode that they've beamed up and they're going to do some science on, see if they can figure it out. And uh, Why are they doing this here? <laughs> I mean, they have a perfectly good warp core they could be splitting an alien rock next to. Yeah, it seems uh, unnecessarily safe. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's because Chakotay has that rock hammer, which... Uh, yeah. Like, you don't see a lot of hammers in Star Trek. And uh, this really stood out to me. Sounds great. He is kind of gingerly chipping around the outside of it, and they open it up like a geode, and it's full of gadgetry. Uh-oh. It's got a guidance system. Asteroids aren't supposed to have those. Ah, we wasted a torpedo on this. (laughs) (laughs) Huge bummer all around. Yeah. Back down on the elevator. They're getting everything put back together. Neelix goes to help this lady, Lilius, with uh, the oxygen equipment. So they need to fix like the maglev controls and also basically the life support and... uh, I don't know if you agree with this, but the oxygen equipment looked a lot to me like the kind of thing you don't just throw away uh, from Deep Space Nine. Yeah, that's a great call. They looked very Federation equipment-y. They really did. I was distracted by how good Neelix seems to be at all this stuff when we know he spends every spare minute bartending on the holodeck. Yeah. But don't worry, I've got everything under control. He's like a real Benjamin R. Harrison having time to read books. I I, I just don't understand it. I read in bed at night. That's nice. As a way of winding down. That's when I should be doing it. It's good. It's a nice way to do it. I said reading is good. They have a ticking clock here. Like the next asteroid is coming. They need to get off the service and onto Voyager before that happens. And um, I thought it was pretty surprising that amid all this hurry, Neelix stops to like sit down and like put a one of his elbows on his knee and like reminisce about his deceased sister from back in the day with Lilius. <laughs> she was killed when I was a young man. <laughs> He's like, we should name the elevator, you know, go up in style with a with an elevator car that has a name. I really wanted Lilius to be like, Let's not name it, and let's definitely not name it after your sister, and let's fix it and get the fuck off the planet. (laughs) Neelix is like, I've been watching a lot of Star Trek Discovery lately, and I have found that people tend to bond over their shared trauma. (laughs) I think this might work for us. No matter how emergent the situation might seem, there's always time to sit there and uh, trade grief. (laughs) Yeah. 
kind of a weird tone to this scene for yeah. sure as i was thinking this tuvok starts barking at neelix like stop wasting time and get back to fixing shit this is not the holodeck nor the mess hall this is a life-threatening situation it was like cool tuvok's on my side i will say though that the way he describes like thinking of all of his dead family members every night and then sharing a part of his day with them mm-hmm. was a really sweet thing that he described like i really found that touching I did too. I've been finding like the passage of time lately for me has, and and for a lot of people has been like really difficult to grasp and less so as the days go on. And I've been thinking about like how I can organize my thoughts in a way that make the days meaningful, Hmm. like, and memorable, I guess, because I'm having a hard time even remembering what I'm doing with my days because they're, they're so similar. And this idea that Neelix is describing is inspirational to me somehow. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but just the idea of noting a thing about your day as shareable, I thought was was pretty nice. That's really sweet, Adam. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm glad you're thinking about these things. Yeah. I mean, I don't know who I'd share those thoughts with. Uh, <laughs> That's that's pretty much the first step for me is finding someone to dump on. Maybe you could either get a therapist or get into journaling. You know, whatever feels like a better option to you. I'll tell you which one is more likely. (laughs) So they're they're aboard the Down Easter Alexia now from from here on out. And uh, as they're working on getting the repairs done, suddenly Dr. Vadim like slams the door behind him, hops on the elevator and is setting it for takeoff. And everybody's freaking out because they're going to be abandoned on the surface. There's only one car. There's not like a second shaft in this building. I have to share with you something from my notes about this scene, (laughs) which is right before this moment, I paused the app to to take a break of some kind. And when I came back and hit play again, it started this scene, but also played the audio superimposed onto it from the theme to the show. (laughs) And it was so stupid and bizarre, and I couldn't get it to stop without full-on backing out of the Paramount app. Oh, man. Resetting the Apple TV and starting it all over again. It was a new version of the shitty behavior we've gotten from this app from the beginning. Wow. A real hold my beer. I've, you, you thought you'd yeah. seen the last of me moment from the Paramount Plus app. <laughs> yeah. It keeps topping itself. It's great stuff. And like, this is one of the most exciting parts of the episode and it was ruined. Yeah, you ruined it. Yeah. So Dr. Vadim trying to abandon them, but uh, they managed, Tuvok has like one of those uh, door code solver gadgets he gets the door open vulcan neck pinches vadim and the launch sequence is already kind of past the uh, point where they can abort it so they they have to go but it means that the repairs weren't all the way complete on the way up so neelix is like oh man this is gonna suck i'm gonna have to like we don't have cruise control we're really gonna have to baby this thing the entire time and it's like it's really shaky. Like the the ride is not smooth. The, the suspension is tuned really tight. Yeah, they set the space elevator for sport mode. Yeah, instead of comfort. A race elevator, but like we're just we're <laughs> civilians, you know. <laughs> we don't need this. Yeah. Hey Ben, do you know what the shortest poem ever written is? Oh, what's that, Adam? Fleas, Vadim Hadam. <laughs> 
Perfect. When I was growing up, people used to throw that at, at me. Like, hey, Adam, do you know what the shortest poem ever written is? <laughs> Please. Adam Haddam. Wow. I think it's a Shel Silverstein poem. It's beautiful. Yeah. Hmm. Isn't it? I thought you were going to say space elevator never worn for sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Neelix has some ideas about how to smooth out this ride. Don't none of them know how good I drive. And they do. Yeah. They let some air out of the tires a little bit. Yeah. And, and they speed up, like counterintuitively speeding up eases how much bumpiness there is in the ride. It comes to light, like as, as they're working this stuff out that Neelix is kind of like, has kind of padded his resume. He did not in fact work on space elevators. He was a nerdy kid who built space elevator models. One tenth scale, but they were extremely detailed. This is much more like a dad getting to go on a ride in a train that he's interested in than <laughs> somebody who is like <laughs> actually competent to take them on this dangerous journey. You built models. That is a comparison so specific. It has to be grounded in reality. <laughs> what did your dad do, Ben? <laughs> What did he do? I was actually picturing that uh, character from The Sopranos that has like the really intense HO gauge train set in his garage. Oh, yeah. Or you got a little choo-choo train at home, huh? If he had the job of like actually operating a locomotive, you know? Yeah. I had a friend in uh, elementary school whose dad, he was a ship designer. Like he designed like ocean going ships for like shipping companies. Like the Captain Phillips style ships? Right. Yeah. But his hobby was building actual coal-fired steam trains at like, you know, like 164th scale or something. Like he made like little train engines. The kind that Huell Hauser went and rode. This is the real thing, and it is just smaller scale. A lot smaller scale. Yeah. Like he would like weld the piping and everything, and like pressurized steam systems that actually caused locomotion. It was like the craziest shit you ever saw. And this was not something he was like interested in sharing with elementary school kids. But I can only imagine that like that dad would know what he was doing if he was on the, you know, in the control room of a real train, I think. That guy, uh, very unpopular to have coal-based hobbies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that kid sucked in, in retrospect. <laughs> Their whole family sucked. Wow. Wow. Just because of their preferred energy source, Ben? That's mm -hmm. pretty judgmental. Mm-hmm. And his mom was super mean to me. Oh, well, that's a better reason. <laughs> I've got to get that platinum, get that low metal argument. <laughs> a good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I could use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. 
One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Lilius is really giving the business to Dr. Vadim here. Yeah. And the other dude wants to throw him out of the airlock as much as anyone. Like, everyone's against Dr. Vadim at this point. Dr. Vadim has not really done things to make friends and influence people. Yeah, and threatening Tuvok being maybe the biggest reason. You can't do that. No, that's not good. But Tuvok has that energy of, like, the Terminator walking into that motorcycle bar. <laughs> he, he is not putting up with this guy's shit at all. Like, he wants Dr. Vadim to find out. <laughs> You'd like to see Dr. Vadim pursue a fucking around base strategy? I will need your full cooperation. And your motorcycle. <laughs> Take it! Oh. They find out that the next asteroid is coming, and it's a planet killer, and it's two hours away up on the Voyager. This news comes in as they get reports from Lieutenant Paris that he has not been able to turn up the shuttle anywhere. This crash was so bad that not even the emergency beacons are working. This is the late 90s. I mean, have we thought about rustling up any deep core drillers for <laughs> a mission like this? Beat me up, Scotty. 
I did think about that, yeah. Like, uh, a real leatherneck that knows how to get it done. I assume you sent for me because somebody told you I was the best. Uh-huh. Somebody that could be persuasive in a context where they're suggesting you'll train the astronauts and the astronauts will go up and do it. Saying, like, maybe the astronauts should train us and we'll go up and do it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, just checking in on the tub times over there, Ben. Uh, both of my legs have fallen asleep due to the position oh. that I've been sitting in. You got to move around, buddy. Yeah, I need to move around a little better. I think I'm, I'm going to uh, give myself a little more hot water. I'm now laying off to the side. Oh, this was a disaster. This water is coming in cold. <laughs> cold on the hulu. I got to stop. That's not going to heat up yeah. anytime soon. I have a... Uh, I have one of those old houses where the water just takes forever and ever to get hot. You got to get a rich trithui over there. I do. Set you right up. Yeah. I just had a meeting with a contractor about a more instantaneous water heating solution. So it sucks. I live in California. I feel terrible running the shower for a while to get it warm enough to stand in, you know? Yeah. I'm sure your deal is the same as mine, where I got to run it for a long time to get hot. And then when I do get hot, it is illegally hot like there's <laughs> yeah. it should not be allowed to have water this hot in yeah. a house like yeah. it should be melting my pipes you should sue mcdonald's it's so hot right <laughs> yeah all i ever do is shoot sink water into my lap too yeah yeah speaking of hot adam the elevator getting very sweaty they're suffering from hypoxia because you know they weren't able to get all the life support stuff up at full blast Tuvok is going around giving everybody triox compound, which I think is what Neelix was throwing into his backpack on, on his way off the ship, right? Hey, way to plan ahead, Neelix. Yeah, nice work. Tuvok's lungs don't feel the same way. He's used to a low air environment, which, I mean, if you're practiced enough with a, uh, a belt and a doorknob, <laughs> I guess you would be. Yeah. I am not the kind of fool that David Carradine was. <laughs> You'll never see my name listed alongside Michael Hutchins. <laughs> Dr. Vadim, after he gets his dose, is very eager to get onto the roof of the elevator car. It seems like he is just going totally unhinged. And so they, they have to try and stop him. But uh, he dies pretty quickly. Yeah. And Tuvok says he didn't die from oxygen deprivation. He died of murder. Oh, it's a leading cause of death on the show lately. So many away missions have led to murder. He was drinking antifreeze water. <laughs> like a cat sneaking into a garage oh, and, yeah. and poisoning itself on accident. They like it because it tastes sweet to them. This is good news for everyone in the car, right? Because it's one less breather. We could use the extra oxygen. Right, yeah. And plus Dr. Vadim was kind of a dick. Dr. Vadim was no fun to be around, and he, and he was really hoovering up the uh, breathable air. So yeah. everybody breathes a sigh of relief, but Neelix really wants to go outside and see if this gremlin on the roof that Vadim was talking about is uh, anything to worry about. I've got a funny feeling about this. I'm not interested in your funny feeling. And we get a little confrontation between Tuvok and Neelix again. A confrontation that as is routine now, ignores the weird history between these two men. <laughs> and also ignores their disparate skill sets because, like, Neelix is like, this car ain't going anywhere until someone <laughs> checks out the roof. And Tuvok's like, well, I have absolutely zero skills in car piloting, so I guess we got to do what you say. Yeah. Why is Tuvok even on this mission? 
I kind of felt like Tuvok had like started to make peace with death after this confrontation when he agrees to go up on the roof. Like yeah. he seems like, okay, well, nothing I say is going to convince Neelix. And he is like such a linchpin to us surviving this at all that I just have to do everything he says. And I might as well not get upset about that because I'm a Vulcan and I really try to avoid getting upset. Plus, if he succeeds in his role, like I couldn't live with that. Yeah. So yeah. He's looking for a way out if that were to happen, too. So having resigned himself to his fate, <laughs> Tuvok goes up to uh, the roof of the elevator, which has a guardrail, but a guardrail that would not pass code. It is way too low. Yeah. Yeah, you got to get that thing up. Yeah. So... Uh, got a loose newel post up there. Yeah. That's a safety hazard. He's up there, and then Sklar starts to head up after him. Has to kick Neelix in the chest because Neelix doesn't want Sklar going up there. It was Sklar the whole time. Yeah. He throws Tuvok off the roof <gasps> and gets the little gadget that Tuvok was trying to bring in. Turns out the uh, the thing that is coming to hit the planet, that's no asteroid. It's a starship. Uh-oh. The Atanian Order. They get on FaceTime and they're like, get the fuck out of here. We claimed this. You will withdraw. This planet belongs to the Nizu. I feel like this was like the biggest twist that the people that they're helping are called the Nizu. <laughs> I really like the vibe of these people. They get on the FaceTime with Voyager and they're like, who the hell are you? Uh, we're, we're here to colonize. So you guys better beat feet. Yeah, move over. So we can go ahead and do that. And they're like incredulous about Voyager even defending these people. Yeah. Why do you have a dog in this fight? Get out of here. Go be a ship of death somewhere else. Janeway's already pot committed after shooting that one torpedo. She is not backing down now. <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound. This may fall under the category of the sunk cost fallacy, but we've already spent some of our dearest blood on this project. Yeah. There's coffee in that human expression. So Tuvok's gone over the edge of the elevator car, but he's actually clinging to the outside of it. And uh, Neelix is all fucked up on the floor and everybody's like arguing over in the corner on the elevator. Weren't you wondering who else might have been in on this too? Because I didn't think it was just Sklar at this point. I was looking around at who else was inside and yeah. thinking that maybe the, the lady was in on it too. Yeah, or, or maybe the, the miner was like trying to get yeah. Dr. Vadim into Sklar's hands or something like that. Right. Yeah, I was wondering too, but um, Neelix manages to sneak away and get the door open and uh, basically alien queens Sklar. Yeah. And we follow him all the way down. <laughs> For thousands of feet, we're with him. Yeah. It's like the next five minutes of the episode. It really takes a long time. And they had to fill time, though. They, they were short. Yeah, they had to stretch the taffy somehow. Yeah. And a really absolutely disgusting bloody death was the way they chose to do that. Yeah. RSVP Sklar. Yeah. You get what you deserve, Sklar. Selling out your people the way you did. Yeah. So Neelix is concussed. What's crazy is like after Sklar's body hits the ground, the spot <laughs> where his body hit was hit by one of the asteroids. Right. Like, yeah. Like an excessive amount of making sure he's dead. Fucking A. Yeah. And then it cuts back up to the uh, bridge of the Otanian order ship and the, the captain goes, fuck you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the first rule of double cross, right? right. Like you kill your mark. Yeah. So um, Neelix is concussed and they've let a lot more oxygen out of the uh, out of the elevator car with these hijinks. But Tuvok convinces him 
to uh, get the car moving again. He um, sort of dry heaves his way through some <laughs> sentimental encouragement about how Elixia would be proud of Neelix. He's like, I know that <laughs> your sister <laughs> would be proud of you, Mr. Neelix. <laughs> If you do not survive this mission, I will be happy to take up the mantle of morale officer on Voyager in your honor. I love the like little like attaboy Tuvok, you're doing it from Neelix. Yeah. Yeah. They continue their trip. Uh, stuff starts to get hot between the Voyager and the Otanian ship in orbit, which, uh, when the Otanian ship charges its weapons up, it gets orange. Did you notice this? Yeah, that was cool. Like the whole ship betrays how much, uh, hellfire is about to rain down on them. I like that. More ships should do that. They're pretty outmatched. Like the Voyager is really getting its ass handed to it. Yeah. I mean, any, any species with asteroid weapon technology, Mm -hmm. I would think would be pretty difficult matchup for the Voyager. Right. Running out of torpedoes as a comparison. But the elevator gets above the ionosphere and like, you know, we talked about how they stretched the taffy in this episode, spent a lot of time with Sklar falling back to the planet's surface. (laughs) That, uh, I think gobbled up the time they could have used to show how this beam aboard went because it's like, we're above the ionosphere. Suddenly we're on the bridge with Tuvok having like programmed in an attack pattern. It's like yeah. the most elliptical edit in, in history. Kind of a lot happened there. Yeah. So they take out the Otanian ships, generators and weapons and the Otanians retreat. And it turns out that this was all part of their strategy. Soften up the planet's surface by making it seem like a bunch of natural disasters were happening. And then when the... uh Nizu abandon the planet. The Otanians move in, set up shop, hang out a shingle, and it's their place now. Seems pretty complicated of a plan if you're the Otanians, right? Yeah. Yeah, had the technology to just orbitally bombard. Yeah, but this has plausible deniability. Guess so. I guess they're worried about the bad look. Yeah, they get salvage rights to the planet (laughs) this way. Yeah, that's better. That's a lot better. The, uh... Ambassador up on the bridge asks Neelix where his assistant is, and Neelix says, Oh, he's gone to a better place. He's gone to Sklarbro country. Mm. <laughs> mm. All right, uh, we'll count it. <laughs> that is the sort of wordplay we like on this show. That's, that's at least as good as Greekothelioma, <laughs> if not better. Oh, yeah. You're right. Very funny. (laughs) Also, some great news for Lilius. Her sister, Hala, has been found. Shabbat shalom, Lilius. Yeah, I mean, you think that with all the backstabbing that they now know about among her people, like, as soon as this good news is shared, uh, it seems like there may be an opportunity for some front stabbing (laughs) between uh, Neelix and his hostage taker. Yeah. But no dice. She's going to go run off and, and meet up with her long-lost family. Sucks for Neelix. Yeah. That would have been a great revenge sex. Right? You know? Yeah. That is doubtful. Nothing kills the mood like a found family member, though. Like, this was <laughs> not going to go anywhere as soon as Tuvok drops this bit of news. Yeah. Yeah. 
I kind of thought that at the end of this episode, Tuvok might start choking Neelix again. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Homer and Bart Simpson <laughs> early season Simpsons relationship they have. Right. Yeah. The whole bit about Tuvok always has to have the last word because he's a prideful man. Neelix pointing this out to him over and over again. Really see Tuvok's blood boiling. Yeah. Tuvok tells Neelix that he's been nominated for some kind of post-mission award. And uh, that's cool, right? Yeah, it's great. But would you give this episode an award, Adam? Did you like it? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. This felt a little bit like one of those early season TNG episodes that's like utterly forgettable in the sense that (laughs) when you're watching one of those deep cut cable channels that show nothing but TNG like for an entire weekend, you sort of forget ever existed. Right. Why isn't this on BBC America? (laughs) Right. This feels like that kind of episode. Totally. And in a way, like it's, it's enjoyable in that kind of way, but like, totally forgettable in most every other kind of way like it's not the fault of any of the performers it's just kind of a fine story it's fine it's fine this is what happens when you introduce the borgs halfway through your season (laughs) you're just looking around for the borgs the whole time and nothing else satisfies seems like they could jump out from behind any asteroid right yeah i um I think I like have a particular soft spot for this episode just because of my affinity for space elevators. Like I think that mm-hmm. they're a cool idea and I like seeing their depiction. I think that this is the first time they've even been mentioned in Star Trek. And uh You've always been very pro orbital transit. Yeah. Give me all the orbital transit. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I kind of agree that it's it's kind of a it is a light early TNG style Star Trek episode in many, many ways. And uh in that way, I did like it just from a, yeah, this is kind of fun. <laughs> and I, I guess I kind of liked how, like, how little breath it expended trying to explain anything, you know, like. The, the, Much like the characters in the higher altitudes. Yeah. It's not worried about telling us why the Nizu got the, the help of the Voyager or anything. It's just like, hey, here's some shit that happened one time. That's just it. Like, if the episode doesn't care... It's hard to make the viewer care, right? Yeah. But I'm 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 here for the occasional episode that is not about the most intense plot development ever, you know? Yeah. This episode is chill as hell. It's chill as fuck. It's like the kind of thing you want to just watch from the comfort of a bathtub. I disagree. Fine. The stakes are 5,000 people. Like who gives a shit? <laughs> Well, Adam, I want to get into the Priority One inbox, but I also want to get out of this tub. Yeah, I want to get into the Priority One inbox dry Yeah. instead of looking down at my uh, totally shriveled dick and balls. <laughs> well, let's go do it. Let's get into the, into, the, into the P1s. All right. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Guy English. Hey. You know Guy English from uh, from the Twitters. Yeah. Among other places. Uh, this message is to Ben and Adam. And that message goes like this. Calling out Montreal's Ed Bagel Jr. <laughs> 
as being a valid alternative to NYC's Ed Bagel Jr. deserves a gym sack full of toonies. <laughs> Is that a threat? Is that Don't people usually hit each other with a gym sack full of toonies? Yeah, I think so. Is, is Guy English mad at us? I thought Guy English was from Canada. I think Guy English and Ben and Adam are fighting. Uh, the message continues. Q, question mark. In all of Trek, where would you drink and what would you order? Ten forward and quarks granted. Yeah. And nobody wants what Neelix is fixing. <laughs> where Picard gets stabbed? With Scotty on K7? Kirk Bones and Scotty on bridge duty? All the series are open. Man. Well, I mean... Hasmazaro's Karma Barge would obviously leap to the head of the uh, of the it list really for would. you because you love a gamble. I do love a gambling establishment, which would mean that Quarks would be on the list for me too. Um, I gotta say that bar where they uh, meet the uh, multi-armed lady that knows Maloda. Yeah, the Klingon Opera Lady Bar. Yeah, that place was cool as hell. That would be on my list. Um, How about the Desert Planet in Star Trek V? Sure. With the watery pool table. I think you got to go in that place not expecting the drinks to be great, but, you know, the atmosphere being... That's a shot in a beer type place. Yeah, it's a seedy environment. You know what you're getting. It's it's, it's the kind of dive that you go to in a very rural place and just like, like, man, I can't believe that this is like someone's local. Yeah. You can fit in anywhere if you order a shot and a beer. Yeah. Yeah. Give me some tequila. Yeah. The most off-brand you got, <laughs> I like to say, as I belly up to the bar. Nope. I've heard of that one. Try again. <laughs> Stump the out-of-towner. <laughs> it's a game yeah. I like to play with bartenders. Our next P1 is from Matt in West Virginia, and it is also to Ben and Adam. goes like this. Dear Ben and Adam, you're going to a conference... Knowing what always happens, I'm curious. What kind of Star Trek conference is worth that risk to each of you? In what ship do you travel there? And with what Star Trek weapon do you strap up in advance of the inevitable Dustbuster battle? Love your friendly fed who thinks about these things, Matt. Matt's got a great question here, and I've got... An okay answer, I would say. Matt sent us uh, patches and challenge coins from his outfit. and uh, Yeah, we've known Matt a long time. Yeah, long time listener. If your priority is safety, here's how I'm getting there. This is the first part of the question that I have an answer for. Right. I'm getting on DeSoto's ship or similar and like getting on a big ship that does uber runs i'm not getting into a shuttle yeah yeah i'm like i'm depending on federation <laughs> mass transit yeah. and by mass i mean tonnage <laughs> that's how i'm doing it i think it's going to be safer that way oh man i have spent so much of my pandemic looking at pictures of neat vans and mm-hmm. looking at videos of people who have modified their vans to live in them that I kind of think that I would pick like a really cool tricked out runabout, like like a runabout that you bought like runabout with the roll bar, right? Barely got it registered, and then like completely yeah. redid the inside, and uh, it's got like a composting toilet and a like induction burner. And I thought there was a rule about going number two in the RV. There is. You'd have a toilet in there? I, I don't know how these people do it, these hashtag van life people, but uh, they all seem to have a toilet and they... I'm not ready to have a van until they can beam it out of me. <laughs> 
So I think that's what I would take. And then weapons-wise, for silence's sake, Mechleth. That's a good weapon. I want to sneak around. I'm going to go key fob phaser for me okay. because it's so tiny. Like, yeah. you can really stick that anywhere. And I do mean anywhere. Yeah, you can keister it if you're getting locked up or whatever. Yeah, and as for the type of conference is worth going to. <laughs> I mean, God, all of my real workplace conferences had to do with like ability betterment. So I would go to a lot of like graphics and editing conferences. Like the uh-huh. Adobe yeah. company used to do a lot of conferences that my workplace would pay for me to go to. Oh man, that rules. Yeah, it did rule. I wish I could have gone to one of those. I, I definitely like doing that. But like nowadays, I mean, I guess in the Star Trek universe, what sort of conference would there be? I'd probably go to an archaeology conference just because I bet there would, you would learn some wild shit about some aliens at an archaeology conference in Star Trek. Yeah, here's the answer, and it's dovetailed off of your answer. is like you go to the archaeology conference on the chance of meeting JL Pipes, mm-hmm. and like I would choose my conference based on the guest speaker. <laughs> really cool guest speaker? That's the conference I want to go to. Yeah. Galen or better. Yeah. Galen or equivalent, for sure. <laughs> so... I hope that answers your question. I love questions in the P1 inbox. Those are great. Got two of them. And I hope you're not too mad at us for uh, endorsing the Montreal bagel. If you've taken umbrage with something we've said or have a question for us or want to promote uh, business, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set up a P1. Yes, slide into those P1 DMs. Yeah. And uh, let's fill them up. Get in there. I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you an order. Is that understood? I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you an order. You have just crossed the line. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I mean, it's the Atanian order just <laughs> in general, like as a species. Yeah. Didn't, didn't really understand their deal. Seemed like a fairly complex solution to a problem they could solve militarily. <laughs> I mean, why not just cut to the chase? This seems to take too long. Yeah, seems hard. Especially when you're overmatching your opposition. Right, right. The way that they clearly are. I, I just, maybe this episode would be better if the heavy was better than the Atanians, but I'm going to make them their entire species, my Shimoda. <laughs> what about you, Ben? I was going to name the Atanian captain, so I don't know if that counts as a uh, as a double Shimoda or not. I think it does. Like, the guy had one line. He got on FaceTime and showed a full face of loaf for yeah. a single line. And I just, I feel bad for any actor that has to undergo the hours in the makeup chair for that little on-screen time. <laughs> yeah, that guy had a big day. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. He's my Shimoda. Good Shimoda, Ben. Do we have a good episode up next? Oh, that's a great question, Adam. I'm going to pull open the description. Why don't you head over to gach.biz slash game, where we keep the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker. I know we're not going to be doing this next episode from the tub, but uh, do we have anything to look out for? We do. I mean, a roll of a six will land us on a Janeway square, which would take us up to an area near the top of the board. It would actually land us on a Measure of a Man episode, oh, which wow. one of the special apps that we do from time to time. That's one of the ones that people really tell us about how much they hate. 
I've been doing bathtub depth so often, it's almost uh, kind of losing their luster. Yeah, yeah. Not as special anymore. Well, our next episode is season three, episode 20, Favorite Son. Harry Kim experiences strong senses of deja vu in an unknown region of space. He soon learns that he is native to this region and he is Takarian, not human. Whoa. Harry Kim's an alien? What the fuck? He was going to find out eventually. Yeah, I guess so. He's like, why am I not getting better at clarinet? <laughs> is it because I have seven fingers on each hand? <laughs> yeah, I always thought it was weird. My embouchure just doesn't seem to be compatible with this reed. Is it my weird sideways opening predator mouth? <laughs> anyway, Ben, that sounds very exciting. It sounds like a dry episode for us yeah. in the bathtub sense. Are you going to roll that bone and tell us if it's going to be a, uh, a measure of a man episode, though? I'm going to. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Ben, I rolled a one, as I often do, which takes us to square 29. Wow. Keeping us in the third row. It's a regular old episode next time. That's just fine by me. Yeah. Dry out a little bit. Yeah, I could use that. That'd be nice. I did that thing where I, I put on my clothes wet. <laughs> And I'm just very uncomfortable. Yep. I didn't spend the time drying that I needed to. Oh, boy. That'll, uh, that's going to be annoying for hours. Yeah. Yeah, nothing I can do about that. Well. Nothing at all. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to next week's episode for mainly for the reason that it won't be as grody. <laughs> um, thanks to everyone that put up with this silly app. Uh, thanks to everyone that supports us at MaximumFun.org slash join. Thanks to Wendy Pretty, the producer of this program. Thanks to Bill Tilly, the card daddy, who runs the at Greatest Trek social media accounts. Follow those accounts. Really fun stuff. We're getting little audiograms of each episode up there now so that uh, yeah. folks can share those. Show a friend of yours online why you think this show is good. Yeah, we're trying to make this whole project friendlier for social media to, to share around. It took us about six years to get there. <laughs> I'm glad that we are. Things are looking and sounding great, as great as they ever have. And I'm really happy to be uh, working with Nick and Wendy and Bill on all these fun projects. Yeah. I'm happy to be touring with you, Ben. This is a huge week for us because uh, we're in the northwest part of our live show tour, the Double Dumbass Tour. Uh, this week, if you're listening to this episode, the day it comes out, we're going to be in Portland and Seattle. And... Both of those cities have a special meaning to both of us, yeah. and we're really excited to be doing a live show there. We sure are. Uh, so come out and see the shows. Um, go on uh, greatestgentour.com if you don't already have tickets, and uh, we'll see you there. we got to thank Adam Ragusea, the man who made the music for this show, and Dark Materia, the... Uh, person who made the original Picard song upon which all of it is based. Adam Ragusea now, big time YouTube celebrity. Go check it out. I can hardly remember when the goose wasn't big time. Yeah. He's been big time a long time. He's been bigger time than we'll ever be. Yeah, it's true. Great guy. Couldn't happen to a better dude. Unless it happened to us. <laughs> That'd be fun. Next time we'll be back at you with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager, where Adam and I find out that we actually were born and raised in Los Angeles and didn't just move here? Wow. Wow. 
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.